scripture reading will be done in two parts. Our first part will be now found in Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1, first book of the Bible. We'll read the first 13 verses and then we'll come back later for another portion. Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above, above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there, seed, which there is seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Give you all my praise. 
continue in our worship of Genesis chapter 1. We'll pick up starting at verse 14. God's word says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Chapters 1 through 11, we're calling it Origins. I've entitled my sermon today, In the Beginning, God. These first 11 chapters of Genesis are so important. In them we find the record of creation in chapters 1 and 2. We find the fall of mankind in chapter 3. We see the devastating effects of that fall into sin, the consequences of God's judgment on them, verses 3 and, or chapters 3 and 4, we also see God's grace, the promise of salvation in Genesis 3.15. We see that grace also demonstrated in the ark and also God's covenant with Noah in chapters 6 through 9. So it's a powerful book. I'm looking forward to it. We'll spend between today up to December on these first 11 chapters. We'll take a break and do Christmas in December, and in January we'll begin going through more of Genesis, looking at the patriarchs. So I'm excited what about lies before us. When you think of Genesis and creation, I think most of us are aware today that Genesis in the first 11 chapters have come under tremendous attack from critics. Many have dismissed it as purely as a myth, and others, not willing to go that far, viewed them just as religious stories woven together by an editor. They reject the historicity of Genesis while accepting the religious point of the narratives. Of course, the evolutionists laugh off the creation account as being totally lacking in any kind of scientific validity. Hundreds of books have been written on either side of this 
topic, and we could spend weeks going through tedious material, looking at both the scientific and biblical aspects. There are scholars who were bright, well-educated, who are on either side. And that tells me that it's not primarily intellectual matter, but a hard issue. There are definitely competent scholars who hold to the scientific credibility, to the historicity of Genesis, to the mosaic authorship of Genesis, so you and I can feel comfortable with that. Again, I really believe that the real issue behind the controversy is moral, spiritual, and not intellectual. You and I don't have to check in our brain at the door to be Christians, but we do have to submit to God's Word. And if we believe the Bible, if we believe Genesis, in the beginning, God created, it affects us in a major way. But of course, because of sin and our tendency to not accept, not be willing to come under our Creator, God, people have made excuses why they should not submit. But again, it is definitely a hard issue. I think the problem is that we see that the Word of God was written to give us an account of creation, but not to answer all the scientific problems that lay before us. B.B. Warfield, a theologian of many years ago, I think, said it so very well. He said, and if you can imagine, a glass window stands before us. Picture, if you will, a glass window. He says, we raise our eyes and we see the glass. We note its quality. We observe its defects. We speculate on its composition. Or, we look straight through it to the beautiful mountains or the sea or the lake that lie in front of us. You see, we see the world and absorb the wonders of it as we look through the window. The scientific way is to look at the world and see the beauty, but not acknowledge God. The biblical way is to look through that window of creation and see God behind His wonderful creation. The scientific way of looking at the world is not wrong any more than the glass manufacturer's way of looking at the window. This way of looking at through the window or at the window has some important uses. Nevertheless, the window was placed there not to be looked at, but to be looked through. And the world has failed in its purposes unless it is looked through. And the eyes rest not on the creation, but on God himself. Moses has not written the creation account for the glassmaker. Rather, he urges us, he urges you and me 
to look through the glass of his account to the creator behind it. Too often we use the creation account for apologetic, for defense, when its primary purpose is not apologetic or defending the faith. We fail to study Genesis in its historical context. The background, which is so vital to understanding the meaning and the message of creation, is who was it given to first? And we'll see later on as we look at this that Genesis was written sometime after the Exodus and before the entrance into the Promised Land. So what was the situation at the time of the writing? Of this creation account. Who received the book? And what does it and what needs were met by it? See, it's so crucial as we look at the creation account to be able to rightly interpret and to apply the message of creation is to know the context. Because of the long held view within our culture and within our education system of evolution. Even believers sometimes miss what Moses intended when he wrote Genesis 1. We get bogged down in trying to reconcile science with the creation count. We miss the point that God intended for us to, to give us. The creation account points us to the Creator, to God, to His greatness as He brought everything into being through His power, through His spoken word. You see, we miss the view. We miss the view that God intended to give us. We're looking at the window, at the glass, and not looking through it to see God. For Moses' portrayal of God as creator and sustainer of all life has a great bearing on the fact that God was now creating Israel as a new nation. And Israel would be among all these pagan nations all around them. And Moses wanted Israel to know that the God who created them as a nation was the God who created the universe. Moses didn't write to people who were isolated from competing religions. Israel had been held in captivity for over 400 years in Egypt. Where the sun and numerous other gods were worshipped. And the Canaanites, if you remember later on, worshipped fertility gods. They worshipped gods that guaranteed healthy crops. All around them, Israel would be facing people whose gods were identified as the sun, the moon, the stars, animals and rivers, and a host of other things. They offered food to these gods, and sometimes they offered their children to appease these gods. In short, everything that the pagans around Israel worshipped, God created. Israel had seen God destroy the pagans, gods, through the, the uh, various plagues. It's against this backdrop of false religions that Moses stresses that 
God alone created all that is. God didn't consult with anyone else. He didn't get anyone permission. He just spoke things into being. And this would go totally against the pagans all around Israel. Their great idea was there's a great struggle between two powerful forces and one God finally wins out and he created the earth. And yet, the Genesis account reveals that God effortlessly created the universe through his spoken word. Since he created the sun and the moon and the stars, he's over them. And they're in no way to be worshipped. The fact that the stars were created by God, given a fixed purpose, shows that they don't have the ability to affect our destiny, negating the whole practice of astrology that was popular back then and popular today. The creation account disproves a number of other false beliefs. The fact that one God created all that is refutes polytheism, which was very popular there. The belief also in dualism, the fact that there was a one God who was good and one God who was evil, and yet they were equal in power. The fact that God created the universe and is separate from it refutes pantheism. And we could go on and on, but I want us to see, don't look at the window. Don't look at the glass. Look through the window to see God's creation. I want us now to look at our passage that's been read, Genesis 1, 1 through 25. And we'll see out of the darkened chaos that God freely created the universe in six days, bringing perfect order and an abundant fullness for mankind whom he would develop on the sixth day. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. When Genesis 1, 1, we see God as the creator of all things. And in verse 1, we're immediately brought face to face with God. In the beginning, God. There's no argument to prove his existence. There's no introduction to lead up to this point. There's no room for speculating or theorizing. But just by revelation, not by speculation... We're brought face to face with God as the creator of our lives. And it's through the Spirit of God that God created the universe out of darkness. We'll see that the Spirit hovered over, preparing for the actual creation. We should note that verses 2 through 31 do a little more than expand on verse 1. They don't explain fully creation. They certainly don't do it in scientific terms. But think about this. Who among the Israelites 
would have cared about a scientific explanation of the creation. You see, Genesis 1 through 11 was written for and to the Israelites. In Genesis 1 through 11, and Genesis 1 and 2 in particular, God doesn't tell us everything we want to know. He tells us everything we need to know. In verses 3 through 25, God creates everything by His Word. First, He brings form and order to creation. Verse 2 says that the earth was without form, and it was void. We've seen it. First three days of creation, they all deal with that state of formlessness, bringing form to the creation. Day one, God creates light and divides it from darkness. Let's look at verses three through five. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. In the beginning, we learned that the means of creation was the Word of God. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Psalm 33, verses 6, 7, 8, 9 confirm this. By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made. For he spoke. And it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. First John, if you remember the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we're told that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on, and it says, All things were created through Him, and without Him nothing was made. So we see, God said, and it was so. Or day two, after creating the light and dividing it into darkness, or from darkness, God creates the sky. He divides the waters above from those down below. In verses 6 through 8, we read, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and he separated the waters that were under the expanse, from the waters that were above the expanse. And so it was. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. On the second day, God separated the waters above from below. Probably at this point, the atmosphere may have been like a dense fog. We don't know. There may have been very little visibility, very little light shining through the dense fog. But with this division, God set a division between the clouds above with the rain, water, and the waters below. In day three, God separates the dry land from the seas and creates plant life. In verses 9 through 13, we read, God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. 
And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And so it was. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed along to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning the third day. On the third day, then God caused the dry land to appear, the earth to flourish with growth. He continued to work bringing order to this creation by making the fertile land sprout vegetation. He created a separation between the land by placing all the waters in reservoirs he calls seas. God set the boundaries for the seas, demonstrating his control over the seas. As you think about the Israelites coming before God, living amongst the nations, the Canaanites worshipped their God, which was a deification of the cosmic ocean. This adds significance. Do you see, point by point, how God was working through creation to show that He is the Creator and that creation itself is not to be worshipped. The decree for fertility stands against the ancient mythologies of that day. In Canaan, there was a myth that claimed that Baal could produce fertility. There was and there is no sea god, just as the seas, just the seas rather, that God controls. And vegetation does not result from some pagan god ascending through a depraved ritual. It's a result of God's word as he sovereignly oversees creation. Well, after the first three chapters, first three days rather, the emphasis begins to shift in creation order, bringing about now fullness. The first three days, everything was formless and God made form. He gave form. He separated the, the waters above from below, creating the clouds above. He caused the dry land to appear and placed the waters in the seas. In days four, five, and six, we see that God deals with that void or that emptiness. We now have this creation that has form. There's land. There are clouds. There's sea. But there's nothing else. As we see the last three days, there's some parallel or some things that go along with day one, light is formed. Day four, we see that the sun, the moon, and the stars were created. On day two, God created the expanse, the air, and the water down below. Day five, we see that God will create the fish and the birds to fill the air and the water. On day three, God created the dry land and plants. And we'll see on day six that God creates livestock and animals for mankind. 
Well, day four, God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars to rule over the heavens. Verses 14 through 19, we read, God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night. And let them be signs for the seasons and for the days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And so it was. God made two great lights. The greater light to shine, rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over day and overnight, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Again, the sun, the moon, the stars were God's creation, not God's as the myths of the Egyptians and the Canaanites and the other peoples, the Amorites all around. The pagans saw them as forces of destiny for them. It's foolish then, it's foolish now to follow the astrological charts of the Babylonians back then or to look to a sun god of the Egyptians thinking that they could find answers. Rather, Israel was to look and trust in their personal God who created all the stars, the moon, and the sun. They were to give no credence to worship by these pagans. And for us as believers, when you look at the sun and the moon and the stars, do you see God? Do you sometimes look at God's creation and just have to almost fall down worshiping Him because of who He is? For us as believers, we should worship Him. But humans tend to reject the Creator. And as Romans 1 says, worship whom? The creation. See, this is Moses' point. This young nation of Israel being surrounded by pagans of all stripes and varieties who worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, the rivers, animals. And he's saying to them, worship me and not creation. And yet, Romans 1 says, that's what mankind does. Well, after creating the sun and the moon and the stars on the fifth day, God creates life in the sea and the sky. In other words, the fish and the birds. Verse 20 through 22, God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the sea, above the earth, rather, across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created great sea creatures in every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea 
and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. On this fifth day, God created living creatures to inhabit the seas, and to fly across the skies. This passage again declares that life came into being by God at his command. You notice that mentioned these great sea creatures. They're singled out, I think, for special attention. The pagans worshipped the great sea creatures as dragons and monsters in rebellion. And they had to be subdued. In Canaan, the Lotan is equal to the Hebrews' Leviathan. There's a great force among them. But Canaan may fear and venerate these sea creatures as gods, but Moses and God wanted Israel to know that they were just creatures, creatures created by God. Job says about the Leviathan to Job, Can you draw out the Leviathan with a fish hook? He goes around and kind of teases him, and finally says, If you can't hold your own against this glowing form, how do you expect to stand up to me? Who could confront me and get by with it? And then he says, I'm in charge of all of this. I run this universe. I run this universe. God wanted Israel, he wants us, to know that all these creations were under his control. God rules the universe. Verse 22, God said, Be fruitful and multiply. The blessing of fertility is given by God and not some pagan ritual. He is the source of life and fertility. Finally, in day six, God creates land animals, and next week we'll see that he created mankind. Verse 24 and 25, God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw there was good. With the completion of the creation of the land animals, livestock and such, God is now ready for that creation of man, which we'll see next week. If you look back over the various days of creation, God created the universe. He created this universe for man. He brought all these things into place so that he can in turn bring man into place. Again, as we look back over these six days of creation, we see that God is the subject of these verses. He's not the object. The objects are acted on light air, water, dry land, vegetation. So 
sun, moon, stars, fish, birds. They're all in the creative process. We're told that God saw, that he called, that he separated, that he placed, and that he created as he spoke. We see several parallels in these six days of creation. Each day, it says, God said, let there be. And then it says, and it was so. Again, we see God's word creating. And then thirdly, we see it was evening, and there was morning, and it was day one, two, three, four, five. It's interesting as I studied, it's worth noting that nothing is called good on Monday. Every day, if you think about it, every day after his creation, he said, and it was good. But on Monday, there is not. Going back, Mondays for us, Mondays back then. When the creation account, we see God. We see God. If we're looking through the window, if we're not looking at the glass, if we're not looking at the composition of the glass, its flaws or its strengths, but if we're looking through the window, looking through the creation to see God, we see God. We see Him in so many ways. We see His attributes. We see His infinite power. The fact that God created everything by His Word. There were no battles between gods. He just created. We see His infinite power. We see His wisdom. If you remember in the book of Job, as Job was arguing with God, chapter 38, God says to Job, He says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Who stretched the line upon it? And on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? We see His power. We see His wisdom. We see His creativity. God's creation is amazing. Only a fraction of species on earth have been discovered with animals, insects, plants. A Time magazine article back in 2000 uh, gave some details. It says that biologists have cataloged 1.5 million, uh, or rather between 1.5 million and 1.8 million species. And estimates of the true number of living species range between 3.6 million to over 100 million species. And what's astonishing is that scientists estimate that more than 95% of all species that have ever existed are now extinct. 95% are now extinct. In a 2.5 acre area in Brazil's rainforest, there are 425 kinds of trees. In a small corner in Peru's National Park, there are 1,300 species of butterflies. God is creative. God is intelligent, and we see 
that even though scientists can study creation and deny his presence, it's so very clear there's an intelligent creator behind the creation. Many, many years ago, Sir Isaac Newton had this exact replica of our solar system made in miniature. The planets were all geared together by dogs, cogs, and belts to make them move around the sun in perfect harmony. One day, as, as Newton was studying his model, a friend came by who was not a, a believer in creation. And marveling at the device, he exclaimed, My, Newton, what an exquisite thing you have. And he says, Who made it for you? Without looking up, Newton replied, Nobody. Nobody, his friend said. That's right. I said, Nobody. All these balls and cogs and belts and gears, they just happened to come together. And wonder of wonders, by chance, they began revolving in their set orbits with perfect timing. You see, that's your option if you don't believe in the intelligent creator of the universe. We see God's power in creation. We see his creativity. We see his wisdom, intelligence. As we reflect on this creation, we should be thankful. We should fall down at times and worship God, not the creation we should be responsible toward the creation that he's made. We should trust him in hard times. God is not only the creator of the heavens and earth, he also creates new life in those who have been damaged and destroyed by sin. Well, how did this shaping of creation for human race take place? It says that the Spirit of God was moving, he was hovering, over the surface of the waters. You see, God used the Holy Spirit to prepare the world, the human race. And since this is the first reference to the Spirit in the Bible, it gives us an idea of what He'll always be doing. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives life. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives form and direction to our lives. It's interesting that salvation follows this similar pattern as to what we find in creation. When God comes to us, think about this. When God comes to us, he finds our lives empty and without shape and without form. And then he speaks into our lives. His spirit moves upon us. And as Paul declares, for God who said... Light shall shine out of darkness. He's the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God's always working. God's ways are working rather than creation and salvation are similar. Salvation is that recreation of creation using a similar pattern. God comes to us in our emptiness. He finds darkness, our darkness. He finds our emptiness. He finds our hopelessness. 
His created word brings life to us. As Paul once again says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. It's the nature of the Creator God to turn chaos into order, to turn emptiness into fulfillment, darkness into light. And He still uses His Word to break through the chaos and the darkness of the human spirit, flooding it with His saving light. His Spirit hovers over us, flooding us with truth and with a saving light, preparing us for God to make us into new creations. I encourage you today, as you look at creation, remember what God did through Moses. He wrote this account of Genesis, not for scientists. He wrote it for Israel, a nation newly formed, a nation who needed to remember who their God was. He was a God, and He is a God today, who reigns over the universe that He created. And just as Israel could take encouragement, knowing that all around them were these stronger nations, nations established for long periods, that they could rest because their God is the Creator of the universe. And then remember, the Spirit of God wants to work in your life, in my life, bringing the light of salvation, the light of truth, if we allow Him to work in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You, Father, that when we look at Your Word, when we look at the account of creation, realizing the context, realizing who You were talking to, Father, realizing what You were hoping to, to establish, Your purpose, is so very clear. We acknowledge, Father, that You are